Are you ready to level up the podcast for leaders, entrepreneurs, and business with your hosts, Jose Medina and Crystal Garcia? It's time to level up. Welcome to the Undeniable Level Up podcast, where we provide our listeners with life hacks to leveling up in business, your career, your personal lives, and even leveling up in relationships. Why strive to be average when you can be the best version of yourself with the tools, tips, and sometimes the tricks that we provide in our discussions? Now, last week, you heard from Jules Johnson in our episode titled Managing Stress Like a Boss. Jules, the assistant district attorney for Harris County in Houston, Texas, discussed how he not only learned to live and excel in a stress-filled home growing up, but how he continues to manage stress effectively in his high-stress career as an attorney. Today, we're here to plan a murder. We're here to discuss killing the procrastinator in you. We all have a little bit of a procrastinator in us. It begins when you're young with small, unimportant tasks like go to bed. As a child, we don't want to go to bed, so we ask for a glass of water. We don't want to clean our room, so instead we watch television. Usually by the time a parent has had it with the procrastination, they're typically going to direct you to complete the the assignment and begrudgingly you're going to get it done. As we get older, that procrastination lingers with us. In school, we put off assignments until the very last minute. We study for a test while riding to school on the bus. We enter the workforce. We put off tasks and responsibilities like completing one-on-ones because the thought of addressing performance just isn't exciting. We put off changing the oil because we don't have 15 minutes to sit at Jiffy Lube. And we drive until the gas mileage display crashes below zero. If you've ever done any of these things, chances are you have a procrastinator in you, and we're going to put that sucker out of his misery. And here to discuss the pitfalls of procrastination is our guest and our incredible daughter, Alicia Anaya. Hello, Alicia. Hello. So we know you very well, but tell our listeners how it was growing up as a military brat. So I didn't really grow up anywhere I don't think. I think I had to move a lot. And so really being a military brat for me was just moving and adjusting to new schedules and new plans. How many schools have you been to? I think 12 or 13 now. You had to move a lot. And um, I know you're still young, so so you're, you're still kind of, you know, going through life and whatever. And what part of those moves was the most challenging for you? I think at first the most challenging thing was for me was to not get attached to people or having to lose attachments that I had because we were moving. Okay. Well, that's that's really interesting. As you have kind of progressed and went to different schools, what was the most challenging thing about like going to a new school or or getting involved in in a new environment and that, that kind of stuff? For me, it was having to meet new people, make new friends, yeah. find new connections. But after a certain point, like now this year at a new high school, I knew I was graduating and it was my last year and you don't really talk to a lot of people you meet in high school. So I didn't even bother with that whole part right. in school. But outside of school, I did meet people. Yeah, yeah. So basically, true. you're always like the new kid. Yeah. Yeah, perpetual, the perpetual new kid. Um, in terms of um, all the places that you lived, what has been your favorite? My favorite place to live used to be El Paso, but mm. now that we've moved to Houston, it's Houston because of jiu-jitsu. Oh, good, good. And jiu-jitsu is something that you started how long ago? I started jiu-jitsu in eighth grade, which was about three years ago. Okay. And I did it for about eight months, but I stopped 
due to family stuff and moving stuff and then COVID. But oh, yeah. I've been doing it consistently now for a year in Houston. Okay. That's awesome. Cool. Uh, how do you enjoy it? I enjoy it and I like that I can do it every day and multiple times a day. It gives me something to do and focus on. Okay. That's really good. In terms of uh, El Paso, you said El Paso would have been your favorite until you moved to Houston. What what was it about El Paso that you liked? I think El Paso, I was 8 to 10 years old. I was young. And yeah. When you're young, you enjoy stuff more despite <laughs> yeah. the reality of them. That's true. So I feel like I just really enjoyed myself more. I hung out with people. I liked my teachers and the school. I liked the houses we were at. Once yeah. I got in Minnesota, it was middle school, and it was middle school drama. Yeah. <laughs> and I knew more of what was really happening. Right, right. Yeah. Made made more sense because you were becoming more and more like an adult and thinking more like an adult. Yeah. Um. Now I know that when um I know you you drive now. You have your own car, right? You drive. Yeah. Um, and I know that when um, when you were getting to that age where you were like, oh, I'm getting ready to start driving, like you started doing all the things necessary to like plan that out. Like, like how did that work out for you? Like, like what was your thought process knowing that I'm getting closer to the age where I'm going to drive and I want to be able to drive myself? I really like being independent, even yeah. if it's stuff that's not super, that's not really a big deal. Yeah. So even just driving to myself to the gym was something that I really looked forward to because I could go whenever I wanted. I don't like to rely on other people, and I do feel more comfortable whenever I plan things out. So whenever I was getting to that age, I looked up all of the requirements for the state I was in at the time, which was California. So I looked up what I needed to do to get my permit, what I needed to do after I got my permit to get my driver's license, and then in the middle of that, we moved to Texas, so wow. I had to look up Texas's requirements and switch those, but I think it worked out really well for me because I ended up getting my permit as soon as I could, and I ended up getting my driver's license as soon as I could at 16 because I know there's a lot of teenagers who don't put in the effort to do that, yeah. and they're 18, and they still don't drive, <laughs> or they still don't have their license. That's true. Yeah, that's true. It's yeah. kind of limiting. Yeah, I have friends that I ask, like, oh, are you driving now? And they're like, no, I haven't even got my permit. <laughs> and they're like 17. Yeah, that yeah. sucks. As you were going to school, how did you manage to kind of work that angle out in terms of graduating early? Because I know there's a lot of kids out in the world that would have loved to graduate at 16, like you're gonna getting ready to do. Well, I first found out about graduating earlier. I first started thinking about it whenever – my stepsister Raquel was talking about how she graduated early and then I found out more of my family members graduated early like you guys and yeah. my other stepsister and even my aunt on my dad's side. So I started looking up what you had to do to graduate early and in California you had to do a lot more credit wise but in Houston they have this thing, well in Texas they have this thing called the foundation plan where you don't need as many credits as you usually do. And because I went to 12 schools, I had more credits <laughs> than most kids did. So to get those credits that I needed to graduate early, I didn't need to do anything outside of school. I just needed to talk to somebody, and I just needed to make a plan of the credits that I needed, what classes I needed to take so that I could do that and so that I was able to graduate early. Right, that's awesome. So um, you kind of uh, alluded to the to the fact that twice already, like you said, well, I had to plan so you had to figure out what had to get done. You had to come up with a plan on how to do it and do it in time so that you weren't doing it at the tail end of when you could, but you were doing it at, at soon as you were eligible to be able to do it. So that's really good. 
Um, in terms of jujitsu, now I know I know you're you're a competitor in jujitsu and you like to compete. And I know that a lot of times there's opportunities to drop in weight, to drop into a lower weight group, so you could have more strength. And how do you kind of manage that so that when you show up to a competition, you've been trained, you know what you need to do, and you're at the right weight, and, and you go and you knock it out. And, and I know a lot of times it involves travel, so I know that takes a lot of planning as well. Um, how do you avoid procrastinating and all that? So for me, the biggest thing to avoid procrastinating, just like with the driver's license and just like with graduating early, is just to plan stuff out. Yeah, I feel a lot more comfortable and a lot more in the know whenever I have stuff planned out. So for jujitsu. I will write down in my planner that I've been using this year what drills I want to do, what moves I want to work on, technique I want to perfect before a competition. I'll write down my weight at the beginning of the week, write down exactly how much I'll need to lose every day or every week, and I will go off of that. I know that our listeners don't know that you're only 16. I know that you're turning 17 in June do you feel like your age has played a role in any way in how things have turned out for you or has it made it easier for you to plan, you know, the different moves that you've made? Has that made it easier for you to plan things or to try to not procrastinate? Has that been helpful at all? So being 16, I don't think it really made a difference in a lot of things. And I don't think age really makes a difference in the stuff you're able to do to a certain extent. I think I could have done the same thing if I was older but being 16 did give me more motivation and encouragement to do stuff earlier because then I could be like, oh, well, I graduated at 16. And it's not because I was 16. It's because, well, I chose to do it when I was younger. Right. But really being 16 just gives me more motivation to get stuff done earlier because then later on I'll already be ahead than most other people. That's yeah. awesome. I think you started working too, right? You, like you've held a couple of jobs, multiple jobs. Did you start working at 15? I started working at 14 in COVID, and this year as a senior at 16, I started working more in the fast food area, and I had three different jobs, and each time I got a raise, well, I moved up in pay, so. Yeah, no, that's, that's really awesome. Good. But I worked at McDonald's, I worked at Taco Bell, and I worked at Whataburger. Which was your favorite? My favorite to work at was... McDonald's, I enjoyed it the most, but it was the least pay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Why was it your favorite? It was my favorite because I had the most friends and it was the easiest. Yeah. The Every single time that I moved to a new job, it got more strict. So from moving to McDonald's to Taco Bell, at McDonald's, if you stand, no one really cares. At Taco Bell, if you're just standing around after like two minutes, they'll come to you and they'll be like, hey, <laughs> you should be doing something and they'll literally go make you rub a paper towel on the wall to clean whatever <laughs> whatever dirtiness they think is on the wall that's really funny and Whataburger I made the most money and I made about four dollars more than I did at McDonald's wow. but it was my least favorite job <laughs> yeah just because I had to work at night yeah that's awesome. Night, night work is pretty pretty tough. She's actually worked for us um, on a number of different different occasions, and um, she's been and not that I'm being biased, but she's been one of our better employees at times. Even at 16, didn't have a lot of the issues that a lot of new employees have, such as clocking in and clocking out. You know, making sure that their their time was right, so that their pay was right. And she even helped me do things like reconciling financials, which you know, a lot of adults can't do so to, you know, to be 
her agent to be able to do those kinds of things is is pretty awesome. Not only that, but um, one of the things that she shared with me is that she wanted to um, start her own podcast. So she's planning on doing a podcast and she's planning that out now. I think you said you were planning on launching that sometime. Are you planning it in the summer for launching it sometime next year or something like that? Yes, starting in the next couple of weeks, towards the end of May and the beginning of June, I want to start planning what I want to talk about, yeah. maybe even plan my first episode so that maybe in July or August I can actually record one, edit it, see how it goes. Yeah. That's awesome. And and part of gaining the um, the experience for, for doing her own podcast, she's she's um, actually doing our editing. So she does all of our editing for our podcast. And so that's very helpful for us. But it's also helpful for her as, uh, as she's gaining that experience, gaining that knowledge. And instead of saying, well, I'll, I'll learn how to do it, you know, in June or, or July or August when I get ready to launch, I'm going to start doing that now. So that way, when I get to that point when I want to record, I have the skills to be able to do it efficiently and effectively. That's awesome. William Arthur Ward says, begin while others are procrastinating, work while others are wishing. The big question that's on my mind, and it should be on everyone else's mind as well, is why? Why do we have a tendency to procrastinate? The high-level answer is that we procrastinate because we often rely on self-control to get things done, but our self-control is highly reliant on our motivation. When we lack motivation, then our self-control suffers. We end up pushing tasks aside for more enjoyable activities, like napping or watching TikToks. Factors such as exhaustion, fatigue, hunger, anxiety, depression can all contribute to an overall lack of motivation and make you a chronic procrastinator. Have you ever experienced these things? I think anxiety for me contributes to a lot of lack of motivation whenever I'm trying to not procrastinate. The reason why I like to plan a lot is because I don't like things to be not planned. I feel a lot more comfortable if I know exactly what's going to happen and if I don't know exactly what's going to happen then I get anxiety on what exactly is going to happen. So for working out, for example, if I don't have an exact workout, then I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to go in there. Someone's going to be using this machine, and I don't know what to do if they're using that machine, and I don't want to stand around, and I don't want people to look at me. Yeah. So it takes away some of the motivation for me. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes sense. Yeah. And stress, honestly. I think that, that proper planning alleviates a lot of stress, too. Even for something like a vacation, you know, you don't want to go on vacation and just be like, oh, we'll do whatever we're going to do. And then you get there and an activity you want to do isn't available. They're closed. You know, those are all things that you plan out in advance so that you don't have that stress so that you have a nice time. Yeah, me and Alicia were talking the other day and um, she had talked about the fact that she came home and she had planned on um, actually going to the gym and she parked the car in the driveway, right? And so she goes, oh, I parked the car in the driveway because I was planning on going inside, getting my headphones and then going to the gym. And, and then what ended up happening is once she went inside the house, like then she got, you know, she started feeling lazy and she's like, oh, well, I'll go to the gym later. And so she never went to the gym. So yeah. uh, <laughs> I was like, maybe I'll have a snack. Maybe I'll watch an episode of TV. And then I ended up completely forgetting that my car was even parked there. Yeah. So what's really funny about that is that's kind of how it happens with procrastination. You kind of your intentions are good and you you plan on doing it. But once you start to lose that motivation, you lose that you start to lose that self-control. And pretty soon you just forget about that. You were even going to do that thing that you need to do. So you don't get it done. So that's a that was a great example of of like how that can happen and, and how that can spiral. Yeah. And even part of your plans sometimes need to take into account things that you know about yourself. So like, I know that I've never in my whole life been a morning person, yeah. not even when I was in the military. So 
I would plan things out the night before simply so that I could wake up as close to time to leave as possible, grab my stuff and leave. I know that I'm not a morning person. So if I plan to get up and do all these things in the morning, I know that the likelihood of it happening is slim to none. So just like, you know, how she was saying about coming home, if you know that if you go into the house and you're in there for more than 10 minutes that you're most likely not going to leave, then you do things to counter that basically. My experience has been that if I leave work and I go home, the chances are very low that I'm going to then want to go because I'm going to come home fatigued. I'm I'm coming home tired and I'm not going to be thinking about, okay, let me go to the gym now. I'm going to be thinking about, man, I just want to rest. I just want to put my feet up. I want to watch TV. I want to relax. If I plan on going to the gym, I need to do it as I'm driving to work, as I'm driving home from work, I need to stop at the gym and work out before I make it to the house. So that's just, that's just what I do to make sure that I don't procrastinate on working out. That makes sense. Yeah. That day I even planned it out too. I was going to go to jujitsu. I was going to bring clothes to change into at jujitsu so that before going home, I would already be ready. I would be changed to go work out. And then I get in my car and I'm like, wait, I don't have headphones and I can't work out without my headphones. <laughs> so then I, you know, go home and I'm like, okay, I just need to grab my headphones. I'll park my car. I'll even leave it unlocked and then I'll go and leave. <laughs> go to the gym. Uh, didn't work out. Nope. When it comes to the 10 main factors that lead to procrastination, we find that that list consists of weak goals versus smart goals. So you have goals, but they're not specific. They're not measurable. They're not achievable. They're not realistic and they're not time-based. They're just like, hey, I want to lose weight. Well, that's just not enough of a goal for you to actually achieve that. So you probably won't achieve it. There's also failure to visualize a future self. And I know when I was younger, that was something that I had a difficult time with because I couldn't imagine myself at 20, 21, 22. So I couldn't even think about what I wanted to be when I grew up. Uh, Alicia obviously doesn't have that problem. She's able to visualize success at a higher level. And so she starts very, very young, making those plans and kind of developing where she wants to go. Uh, how do you how do you do that, Alicia? On your on your on your side, how do you visualize yourself into the future so that you can achieve things now? I like to look at people that are where I want to be and picture myself there. It's easy to picture yourself somewhere if you're looking at someone who's already there and you see what they've done to get there. So with jujitsu, I have people that I look up to that are in my life and that are also not in my life, like. Maisa Bastos, for example, she's a black belt world champion. She specializes in this move that I really like called the Barambolo. So I like to watch her and I like to imagine myself being there. And then I also have people in my life like Min and Jules, where Min, for example, has opened up a school. And I really just admire Jules's mindset. So I like to look at them both and imagine myself where they are or getting past where they are. Right. That's awesome. That's good. Um, also feeling overwhelmed, having anxiety, having perfectionism as a as a blocker where you can't get things done because you're trying to make it exactly perfect, uh, suffering from fear, uh, whether it's fear of failure, fear of judgment or fear of embarrassment, uh, dealing with depression. We talked about fatigue, coming home and being fatigued and having that be a, a reason to procrastinate, uh, suffering from burnout. When you do something so much that you just get burned out on it or you just get so consumed with it that you get burned out. Um, And also when you're overtasked. And I know Crystal and I have talked a little bit about being overtasked when you have so much on your plate that you just can't balance it all. And so, you know, and those actually those those last two are kind of hard for me because I know that just by my nature, I tend to be what is known as a workaholic. So when I am 
posed with a task. Sometimes I can do it from start to finish in one setting, which isn't very healthy. There's been times, whether I was in the military or even now, where I've pulled an all-nighter for something that honestly wasn't that important or that critical, but just simply to get it done, I was in a zone. And that's not always the healthiest thing. And so sometimes that can play into your procrastination. Yeah, for sure. So, So we have 14 hacks or steps to killing the procrastinator in you. There are 14 lethal steps that you can take to ensure that when you find yourself being impacted by either fatigue, fear, or anxiety in such a way that you begin to procrastinate, you'll be able to maintain steadfast self-control and motivation and get things done. And the first step is to stop trying to eat the whole elephant in one sitting. You don't have to complete the task from A to Z like Crystal was just talking about. You don't have to start at A and go all the way till it's done, especially when it's a large task. It is sometimes better to break that task up into smaller parts. If the project takes eight hours, you can do two hours on day one, two hours on day two, and so on and so forth. This will reduce the stress of an eight-hour project and allow you to space it out over time and avoid procrastinating. Uh, have you ever tried this approach, Crystal? Um, I have, and I find this to be very helpful, but also I'm not the best person at this. Let me say that first, at breaking things up. And not because like I do lists and and I think I plan things out very well. But, you know, like I said before, sometimes I'll do it from start to finish, which isn't always the healthiest thing. So I have also done a lot of research when it comes to being more productive and and using your time wisely and things of that nature. And it part of what makes you more productive is when you break things up into small parts, when you have milestones, that feeling of of completing something energizes you and gives you motivation for the next thing and the next thing. So when you have this this one big task and you don't break it down, then you don't get that feeling until you've completed the whole thing. So it's better to break it up so that you get those those milestones where you can say, okay, I've achieved this. I've achieved this part, you know? And so right. you get that that feel good energy and then, you know, you have some more motivation to get you through. Yeah. What about you, Alicia? Something that I I'm trying to work on breaking up now that I did before we got COVID back in December is working out and dieting. Yeah. I find that if you go from not working out at all and you go from not being on a diet at all and one day you start being completely on a diet and working out every day, you're not going to stick with it. Yeah. And so what I did before was I dieted a little bit week one and I worked out a couple of times during the week. And by dieting a little bit, that means I tried eating healthy but if I wanted something that wasn't so healthy I would eat it but I would eat it in moderation then the next week I wouldn't eat something that I was craving but I also wouldn't be on too much of a restricted diet and I would add on more days of working out until I was able to fully be on a diet and fully be on a workout schedule gotcha that's that's pretty smart to do that um and that's I know for me when I go to work out I try to like my first workout will be like three sets and then after I've been doing it for, for like, I don't know, like maybe two or three weeks, then I'll go to four sets and I just increase my sets as I go, you know, and that way I am increasing the amount of weight that I'm lifting, but I'm not killing myself at the very beginning where I'm right. so sore that I have to like quit working out because it hurts too much. You know? Which is funny because that's basically the equivalent to burnout. So you're basically burning yeah. your body out. You know, if you make your body so sore that you can't go in the gym the next day, well, that, <laughs> that didn't work out so well. Yeah. Well, step two is make a list. Having a checklist is how pilots fly the most complex aircraft in the world. Having a list ensures that you remain in sequence, 
allows you to check tasks off as they are completed. They also ensure that you never forget something. It's a great way to stay sane when you have information coming at you from multiple angles. If any of you are aware of Lean Six Sigma and you know how following a process is very important to achieving a a particular outcome every single time. So let's just use something simple like making a sandwich. If you make an amazing sandwich and you make it exactly the same way every single time, you're going to have the exact same yummy sandwich, you know, when you get done making it. So the, the same mentality applies pretty much to any situation. And if you don't use that same set of guidelines, then you're going to miss something. You miss an ingredient. Maybe you forget the cheese, then your sandwich isn't as good. The same thing goes for anything that you're trying to do in life where it's helpful to have a list, planning a party. You know, you don't want to forget things. You don't want to be the day of and say, oh, I don't have the plates. I don't have the ice. So um, just something to think of. I just wanted to kind of expound on that. Do you use lists? And if so, how do you use them? What do you think about them? So I like to use lists with really everything I do in my day and I definitely use them a lot this year for my senior year because I had so much more going on with graduating and because we were adding on to our jiu-jitsu schedule and we were doing it every day. I use this to plan out my assignments, my working out and my jiu-jitsu and it made me feel more again in the know like I said earlier it makes me feel better to know what's going on even if it's something I already know that's going to happen I still write it down like I know we're going to have jiu-jitsu at seven Monday through Thursday, but I still put it down and acknowledge it because I like to look at everything together before I go in. So I've been using a planner all year, writing lists of what I'm going to do every day. And I write the list the day before or the week of, and I look at everything, like my whole week planned out, and I don't look at it again until the next week. But I looked at it, so it made me feel better, and it made me acknowledge everything that I need to do and keep in mind. And I think it helps me Make sure I get everything done. Yeah. How long have you been using lists for? Because I, I, I can think Since back she was as born. Yeah, I know. <laughs> as far as I, as far back as I can go, I remember her keeping a list. Even, yeah. even if it's like a Christmas <laughs> list that she starts like in June. Like <laughs> I I really love using planners and schedules. <laughs> yeah. I like to know what's going on and it makes me feel a lot more better. And even if I write down something that I'm not gonna do or that I'm trying to do, for example, these past few weeks. And I keep having to scribble them out the week after <laughs> no. is the workouts. I put uh, down leg day, arm day, and then the next week I never did those workouts. So I'm not on the same muscle group that I should yeah. be. So I'll have to scribble it out. Like I did that yesterday. I was supposed to be working out all last week and all this week. And I only went one time. So I'm not on the same muscle group that my planner says I'm on. But even though I didn't end up doing everything, it's still nice to have it written down and yeah, maybe I will do that stuff. Maybe I won't, but at yeah. least it's there. Yeah, and, and it's a it's a good way to keep you accountable because I know when you're scribbling it out, there's some disappointment with that. You're like, man, I should have did that. There is. <laughs> there's no yeah. reason I shouldn't. Have. Yeah. There's sometimes I have to scribble out it. I have to scribble it out twice in one day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Harvard University did a study on um, writing things down, and and the you know it's always a higher percentage when of success when you actually write things down. It's like forming a commitment in a sense. So you put it on paper, then it exists. You know? Yeah, and I think it's a high percentage. I think it's like it's like ninety percent or something like that. It's like super high. I don't know if it's ninety percent, but it is I, like ninety-one. <laughs> Maybe it's eighty. <laughs> <I don't laughs> Maybe <know. laughs> possibly ninety-two <laughs> and a half. St- 
Step three is find your sacred space for success. That's the place where you're able to focus and get stuff done. It might be the office, it might be the bedroom, maybe it's the poolside or even the local Starbucks. Wherever that magical place is that you get the most done, go there and get it done. Where is your sacred space for success? My sacred space for success is the office, not the home office. And I know this, I know this about me. I'll get distracted, whether that's I have something around the house I know that I've been needing to do that I haven't been able to do, but hey, I'm home. So I'll get distracted from what I need to be doing and I'll be doing something around the house, which yes, I wanted to get done, but it's not part of my plan and I'm distracted and it's not good. So yeah. I know that I do better when I come into the office and I'm a hundred times more productive in the office than I am at home. Sure. I know when we first moved to Houston and we still didn't have an office and we were trying to work out of uh, the Airbnb that we were staying in. That sucked. Yeah, that was really tough for, for all of us. And um, it was really hard just to sit down and focus and get work done because was. there was no desk. There's no, you know. And everybody's so close to each other. Yeah, and, it was really you know, tiny. Like, and, yeah. Yeah. That, that was definitely an uncomfortable space. I think for me, the best place to, for me to be successful has to be a place where I'm by myself and I can work it. You know, I can, I like to read out loud and I like to make noise when I, when, you know, when I work and Crystal gets annoyed by that. So Cause uh, I don't like noise when I when, work. Yeah. When we share an <laughs> office, we, it's a little bit of a, um, of a, of a struggle to like each one of us find a, like a, um, like that perfect workflow, uh, because each one of us c can bother the other one, but a place like that look like for you. I think if I had a desk, then that would probably be my sacred space. Right yeah. now, I don't really like to come to the office because it's too much of a working environment to the point where it's... Uncomfortable. It is it is uncomfortable and it's kind of boring. <laughs> There's nothing that really... Exciting. Yeah, yeah. But really just having a desk in a place that I know is where I'm supposed to be working... Right now I have my room, but it's really like my bed. I can I can choose to do something or I can yeah. choose to lay down and watch TV <laughs> in <either> way. <laughs> Step four, develop a plan. It's not enough to have a major task or project to get done. You need to know each step required to reach the end goal and establish a timeline to accomplishing each task in a realistic time frame. Having a plan is like having a GPS that directs you towards the fastest path to success. Once you have a good plan, then execute that plan with self-control and commitment. What was the last thing that you planned? How did that go? And were you successful or did it fail? Do you remember the last thing you planned, Alicia? Right now, and it's kind of been an ongoing plan that I've been doing, is a drilling schedule for my technique for competitions. I've been wanting to compete a lot more than I have been. And in order for me to feel that I'll do well or to feel more confident in the results of what I think I'll get in the competitions, then my technique has to be good. So I plan out a drilling schedule. I put what moves I want to work on each day and what things I want to drill while we're in class or at home, and it makes me feel better about going into competition. But I wrote down all the competitions that I want to do so that I have them planned out for each date, know how much time I have in between each one or how much time I don't have for things that will make me feel more confident. Like, drilling. yeah. Do you have like a, like a time frame or like a measurement for success? Like, do you say I'm going to do 200 of these drills or do you say in this two weeks, I'm going to drill this as much as I can? I do more of a day to day thing. Like for this week, I am switching out between 
the Barambolo, the Worm Guard, and the Squid Guard every day for droning at home. So one day I'll only focus on the Barambolo, one day I'll only focus on the Worm Guard, etc. And in the next few weeks, then I'll change it to different techniques so that these ones will already be strengthened so I can strengthen other techniques that I have. Right. It's really it's awesome. It's great. What was the last thing you planned? Uh, the last thing that I, pl well, actually, I'm in the middle of a plan now. I'm planning our family vacation for September. How's that going? It's going very well. And um, I'm using. Tell us what's planned so far. So we're, our family vacation is to the Dominican Republic. We're going in uh, the end of September and we we're going as a family. So it's about, I want to say like, I think it's about up to like 10 of us that's going. And so everyone's contributing, everyone's paying their portion. And so what I did was I started a Facebook page so that I can communicate with everyone really together. Smart. Yeah. And then uh, I'm also sharing like small bits of information about where we're going. So people are, are kind of familiar with Dominican Republic and I've added everyone to the group so they can all kind of see what's going on. It's also a good place to send out reminders for like payments when they're coming up. And I even was able to put the Airbnb that we're going to stay in so everybody can see like where we're going, where we're going to stay and that kind of stuff. So it's, um, it's going pretty good, I think. And I am a planner. And for me, very much like Alicia, I like to know exactly what's going to happen. And if it's not on my schedule and it's not in my plan, then I'm very upset when I have to do it. And even if it's a, it, it can be something as simple as we're going to, to jujitsu today. And then on the way home, someone says, hey, let's stop and have dinner. And I'm like, that's not part of my plan. Like, you know, so that's going to make me feel a little uncomfortable because I did not plan for that. It's not part of what my agenda had in it, in my mind. So that makes sense. mentally yeah. prepared. So that can throw me off. And even though, yeah, I do want to stop and get something to eat. It kind of does throw me a little bit off because I'm a little bit of a control freak. So that makes sense for me here recently. So Alicia is getting ready to graduate and we have family coming in. And so we decided to rent out a space for everybody to go eat the, the foods that Alicia wanted to select for her, we'll call it her graduation party. So I started planning, writing everything down, what we needed to make sure, like if the, if the event place didn't have certain things and cause I don't want to forget anything. I don't want to get there the day of and not have something we need or sending somebody to the store or things of that nature. And then of course, due to, you know, spacing, they limit how many people can, can go to the actual graduation. So we just, we did a, a bunch of different things just to kind of make sure that there's no surprises, you know, the day of her party and the day of her graduation. That's so. good. And I, I think that was a very collaborative process. And I, I really liked how we like all had a piece in that and like trying to figure out what is that going to look like so that it goes as smooth as possible. Yeah. Step five is eliminate distractions, uh, email notifications, text messages, and long-winded <laughs> talkers. Uh, sometimes you can get that guy in your office that just loves to talk to you to death and get nothing done. Like, you got to get that guy out of your office. Get him out of your space. Uh, turn your notifications off. Focus and concentrate and set specific intervals to check emails and text messages. That way they're not, it's not stopping you while you're in the zone. How do you manage distractions, Alicia? Most of my distractions are on my phone. So I usually turn off my phone and turn on music so I can focus on the music rather than whatever else is going on. Yeah. I think that my worst distraction would probably be TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> so I should probably delete that one day. <laughs> but I really just manage distractions by turning off my phone because that's where everything is. Yeah, for sure. How do you manage distractions? I don't turn off my phone, but... I just kind of ignore the pings, you know, I ignore them. So what I try to do is that once I start a task, I work to finish that task 
And then once I'm done with that task, then I'll like check my phone or I'll check Teams or, or check, you know, whatever, whatever app is calling my attention. It's not effective. I probably should also do something better than that. <laughs> I definitely do things like, you know, silence, silence my phone and I turn it upside down. I'm not like seeing flashes or seeing something come across my phone. And the reason for that is because when I'm very focused, especially like when I'm on a roll, I like to stay on that roll. And when I start hearing things like pings and, you know, people are coming in and out of my sacred place or, you know, that kind of starts to get, I won't say overwhelming, but it, it takes my attention away. And so it then kind of causes me to stress out a little bit. Not bad, yeah. but a little bit. I, I so. think I think you're you're a little bit different than me in the fact that you ha- you give whatever it is you're doing, you give it like a hundred percent of your attention. And then when you're pulled out of that attention, it's distracting. It's like super distracting to you. It's actually scientific. Yeah. You can't multitask. No, and I'm not talking about multitasking, <laughs> but like for me, I think where I'm I'm a little different is like I can be doing something and then someone can walk in and stop me and I can stop and have that conversation and not be super frustrated by going back to where I was just was at. It's not as disruptive to me as it is to you from what I've seen. Yeah. I don't I don't think right? it just like one yeah. instance is disruptive to me. I think if it's multiple instances. So no. and it's and it's not that it's like the same person or the same thing. It could be that there's multiple things. So I think that people have different tolerances for what they can handle with distractions. Yeah. I feel I'm probably closer to Joe because I can get sidetracked and I can do multiple things at once or go to one thing and then bounce back to the other without it really affecting my productivity with whatever I'm doing. Yeah. And for for you, I know there's been times when either I or Elisa have said something to you, but you're in the zone and you don't even hear it because you're so like concentrated, like, you know. But, I like but, to say she can only use one sense at once. <laughs> but also, and you know, I actually used to not be that bad at that. But after I got diagnosed with PTSD, I don't know what it is about about stimulation. But if there's multiple things happening at the same time, it's really, I don't know, I feel like it's the equivalent of like five people standing around me and all trying to talk to me at the same time, where you can't really grasp one conversation and you're just hearing all these different random words, like just different random words or popping in so when i when i hear something like if somebody has a tv on and then somebody starts playing tiktok videos that's really difficult for me i think it actually starts to cause me anxiety and and i don't know why that is yeah so that's definitely played into how i feel when i'm when i'm distracted now at work or you know when doing an activity but and i also try to be open and honest about that with people because sometimes people can think that when they come in and they say hey and they just start talking they find it upsetting when you don't give them 100% of your undivided attention, you know. And for me, you actually have to you have to be like, hey, Crystal, do you got a second? And then you have to wait for me to respond because if, for instance, if I'm reading something and you come in, it, sometimes I just don't. It's not that I don't know you're there and it's not that I'm purposefully trying to ignore you, but I don't know. There's something that like I like there's a switch that I have to flip. I don't know why that is, but there is. So, yeah. It's, it's fair. And knowing that about you allows us to kind of work around that and not be as upset when I say something and I'm like, hey, did you hear me? And you're like, oh, no, I was reading something. Can you say it again? Like, you know, I, I just know that's part of who you are. So, yeah. yeah. So don't take it personal. <laughs> I'll be in the car and you'll be texting somebody and I'll be trying to tell you about something in my day. <laughs> and then I'll be sitting there and waiting for you to respond. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's not intentional. Step six is to reduce your need to make decisions. If you need to stop and decide something, you're losing time. 
Instead, set low-priority tasks on autopilot. For example, have a daily menu planned for lunch instead of trying to wing it. Maybe it's canes on Mondays, then on Tuesdays, for example, it could be Chick-fil-A, and on Wednesdays, Popeyes. Thursday and Friday, you can bring your lunch. This stops you from stopping and having to scroll through DoorDash looking for lunch options, or God forbid, bringing your lunch. <laughs> Are there any low-priority prior- tasks or decisions that you have automated in your life? And what things could you automate in your life, do you think, if they're not already are? For me, I know it's my clothes. You know, when I was in the military, I had a uniform. So every day I knew exactly what I was going to put on. I wake up in the morning, I grab my uniform and I put it on. It was the same color every day. It was the same same exact fit every day. Like, you know, so I didn't have to really put a lot of thought into it. When I left the military, it got a little bit more complex. I have to kind of plan out my, my, my clothes and whatever. Um, and I've gotten to the point where... I don't want to do that anymore. I'm too busy and I'm I'm too I'm I have too many things going on where I don't want to be in my closet trying to match and and mix whatever I want to wear and I got to iron it and so what I do is I've bought a bunch of black under armor shirts and I just wear that to work every day. Oh, I thought you were just going to wear your military uniform to work. No, I don't. I know. <laughs> it's my I have my I have my black under Armour shirt and I wear that and all I have to do is just pick a pair of pants it don't matter it goes with everything I pair I wear a pair of black shoes I wear whatever pants comes out the hanger and I throw on a black shirt and I don't have to spend a lot of time trying to figure out what I'm going to wear so I guarantee you if you ask him what he's wearing black shirt it's a black shirt and some jeans and some jeans <laughs> and she asked me every day hey what are you wearing today uh black shirt and some jeans <laughs> What about for you? Just, just thought I'd shake it up. That's all. <laughs> what do you? What? What? What have you automated in your in your life? Not enough. <laughs> yeah, I try to do certain things in the morning as opposed to the you know the afternoon. I find that it's easier for me in the morning because I'm not a morning person. Yeah, that I knock out the things that don't require a lot of cognitive <laughs> ability. So I'm still kind of waking up early in the morning. So I prefer to do things that that aren't really hard to think about or do in the mornings. And then as I'm waking up throughout the day, then I'll do things that are more complex in nature because I'll I'll have that ability at that point in time. Yeah. I think one of the things, Alicia, and you probably don't even think about this as an automated process, but one of the things that we do is when we come home from jujitsu, we immediately pull our, our geese out of the car it goes straight into the laundry room. It goes straight into the washer and dryer and we wash it right away. And then when it's done, we take it out and we hang it up to dry. So that's like an automated process. Like we don't have to think about it. Like it's like we don't come home and throw it in the hamper. And then at some point we got to remember, oh, got to wash the ghee. Like it's an automatic process that we do. Yeah. So I'm going to bring this up just because this makes me think about how when you have a change in your process, how it can impact your, your schedule when you have something that's automated. So if you have a routine this is a routine is is pretty much your automated tasks. So let's say that every morning you get up at the same time. Every morning you have a routine of, you know, what mine used to be of when we were in Minnesota. It was super duper cold, super cold. In the mornings, I would wake up. I knew how long it took me to get ready. I'd have all my stuff ready the night before. I'd wake up. I'd go downstairs. I'd go out to the car. I'd start the car. I'd put the heat on and I'd raise the garage about three feet. And then I'd go back upstairs. I'd shower, I'd get ready. I'd come down. By the time I came down, the car's warmed up. I can drive out in the cold weather and I'm good to go. So one particular day I went downstairs, I started the car and I had something to throw away. So I interrupted that process 
and I threw whatever it was away. And in the mix of that, because I was throwing something away, I forgot to open the garage. So that morning when I'm on my way to work, I get a phone call and Jose says, I'm feeling a little funny. My lips are tingling and my hands feel weird. And I said, oh my goodness, I have a confession. So and she killed him with carbon monoxide. <laughs> no, I didn't kill him. But um, when I came out to the car, because the garage was closed, of course it stunk really bad while well, our room is right above the garage. It was right above the garage. So, and he was still sleeping at that point in time. So I'm like, man, I'm really sorry. The garage door was closed. I didn't think it was that bad. Yeah, it smelled. But of course I left and closed the, the garage door again when I left. And I just rolled, um, rode down the street with the windows down for a little bit. I didn't feel funny or anything, but it's funny to talk about now. It wasn't funny back then. Then he was getting paranoid. He's like, if you're going to start the car, you need to take it all the way outside. Like it needs to be outside the garage. Cause he was worried for the, for the next few days. Oh, my lips are feeling funny. You know, he just was. Yeah. I think, I think the next day I was having like some sympathy like responses <laughs> in my body. Cause uh, she woke up the next day and did the exact same thing. But this time she obviously raised the garage, but I woke up and I was like, what if the garage door's not open? I went downstairs, I turned the car off and I closed the garage. And I was like, hey, look, if you if you want to do this, like warm up the car thing, like you need to drive it outside because I'm not going to risk dying. And I would have died and I don't know if, at least he was on the other side of the house. You might have survived. You might have been the only one because you was taking a shower. So you would have probably died too with me. So, <laughs> Anytime that, that you have things set up in a manner to where, you know, you're you're on autopilot Sometimes you can become complacent with your schedule. You don't build in time for things that could occur, but also sometimes you can cause yourself a lot of stress by not realizing that things can happen that can interrupt that schedule. So let's just say, you know, like with me, you know, adding an activity that caused me to, you know, mess up my routine. Sometimes you can have things scheduled. Let's say every morning you come into work and the very first thing that you do for the first 30 minutes is you check email and you check voicemails, and let's say that you came in one morning and something happened at work, and you were talking to somebody for an hour, you've surpassed that 30 minutes or you know an hour, whatever it is that you plan to do, whatever that task is, and suddenly you feel like you're beh behind the power curve and you're stressed. So I learned quite a while ago that when you're building your schedule, you do have to have some time built into that schedule where it's open. That way, as things occur, you can kind of shift things. Maybe you're not doing it at the same time, but also so that it's not creating an abnormal amount of stress for you. Yeah. You have to build your schedule with, with a little bit of flexibility. For sure. Step seven, have a schedule and stick to it as closely as you can. Obviously, emergencies are going to happen, but your day should be planned from start to finish. This allows you to forecast your productive hours in the day. It ensures that you arrive at meetings and planned events on time, and it allows you to maximize your day without losing any time. Step eight is forget about achieving perfection. It'll never be perfect. It'll never be the perfect moment, the perfect conditions, or even the perfect execution. Focus instead on being the best you that you can at any point in time. Take time to reflect and self-assess to ensure that you are learning from your errors and mistakes and learn to laugh at yourself. Does trying to be perfect affect your ability to accomplish tasks and achieve objectives and goals? I think for me, it only affects me mentally. And I think that's probably the biggest part for other people as well. I don't think being perfect or trying to be perfect is going to affect you not 
achieving as much or you not being able to do as much because you're trying to be perfect. I think in some cases that actually makes you try harder, but I think it does take a mental toll on yourself. I can definitely say that I'm my worst critic. I've always been like the hard worker, the person that everybody comes to like, hey, help me out with this. Like, I'm good with that stuff. I'm good under pressure. But one area that I've had to work on all my life is this, you know, sense of things needing to be perfect. There's no such thing, first of all, as perfection. Yes, you can learn and get better. And yes, you should learn and get better every single time. But at the same time, you know, you do need to understand that that perfection doesn't exist. So, you know, some, there's been situations where like at work, I've done something and everybody's like, man, that was so incredible. And I'm like, man, it could have been so much better. <laughs> yeah, I think I think anything that you do, you can always look at it. And, and it's funny because I was having a conversation with uh, with my oldest daughter, Raquel, and we were talking about parenting and she was like, hey, I had like this great childhood. And I'm like, yeah, but I wish I could have done better. Like, you know, what I'm saying I, I think you're always you'll always look back and go, man, I could have done a little bit more. I could have done, you know, a little bit, a little bit harder, a little bit faster, a little bit quicker, like whatever. I think that a part of that comes from the fact that, it, you know, for somebody that's on the outside looking in, they don't know what it is that, that you're thinking or that you're seeing. So to you, you might be like, oh, I was so much more capable or I knew so much more and I forgot in the moment. So they can be looking at you do something or accomplishing something and say, um, you know, that was really good. But then, you know, for you, you're like, oh, that could have, you know, that could have been better because I didn't do this right or I didn't do that right. You know, sometimes you'll notice things because it's you, you know, as opposed to somebody else, you know, on the outside looking in. So, so definitely, you know, the main reason why people are harsher critics on themselves than anybody else. Plus, you know, if you gave it your all, you know, if you put yeah. in the work, you know, and sometimes you can cause yourself some guilt by, oh, I, I took a night off and I, went out and I got a massage instead of doing this work. And if I would have done two extra hours, it could have been better. Maybe not. Maybe yeah. you needed that break. Yeah, that's true. What about you? I'm pretty perfect. <laughs> <laughs> You're <laughs> very perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, I, I don't think I've ever had a problem with perfection. I feel like I'm never in competition with anybody else. I'm very competitive, <laughs> but I'm very competitive against myself. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I don't care about being better than the next guy. I just care about being better than who I was yesterday. Is that because you got an A plus in self-esteem? I did. I did get an A plus in <laughs> self-esteem in high school. Um, but um, Did any of you know, know that that existed in a high school? Because I didn't until I saw his high school transcript. People, people <laughs> with high self-esteem only go to that class. <laughs> For me, it's, it's just about... It's just about being better than I was yesterday. So I, I've never really had a problem with perfection. I do the best job that I can every single time. And if I mess it up and if I m cause something to go wrong or if I fail, I just learn from it. And that's, uh, that's how I've always been. So I think one of the areas that this can be hard, because this is something that I've had to work on, is when, especially in a physical thing, so like with jujitsu, if you're wanting to do a particular move and you want it to be perfect, before you use it in a competition, then it might mess with you mentally to where you don't want to do it in a competition, even though you've been working really hard with it or, you know, you know it very, very well, but to you, it's not perfect. Oh, it's not perfect. So I don't want to try it. So I think, you know, whether it's in a sport or it's in the job that perfection, trying, trying to reach that level of perfection can definitely have an impact on your objectives and your goals. And sometimes you just need to take time to self-assess and 
figure out if there's something that you need to change. If, if maybe you're putting too much pressure on yourself and if maybe that perception of what perfection looks like isn't actually accurate. And, and just to close out this topic, um, I know Raquel had told me one time, she says, I think people use perfection as a way to hide the fact that they have a fear of failure. You know what I'm saying? So you're just like, well, I don't want to risk failing at this. So I've got to make it as great as I can. And so that perfectionism is really fear of failure, you know, so something to think about. Um, step nine is celebrate the wins. The ability to celebrate the small wins gives you the encouragement to continue striving towards larger goals. Incremental victories can help maintain motivation and momentum. In our podcast, Fake It Till You Make It, our guest, AJ Franco, spoke about how he would celebrate every time he and I would go out and sell when we were working as salesmen for All American Lumping. Our goal was a hefty one, generate a million in sales in six months. If we would have never celebrated the small victories of each account that we either set up or, or closed, we would have burned out on rejections and failed sales call. Instead, each small win encouraged us to push to the next one. And our victory lunches were a very memorable part of that. Step 10 is cut yourself some slack. Learn to not be so hard on yourself. Take scheduled breaks and find time to unwind and relax and do something that re-energizes you. I spoke previously about how driving alone in our convertible with the music playing on the highway is soothing and recharging for me. Different actions for different people work to help in recharging them. What recharges you guys? Mine would be pretty similar. I think my recharge times are always driving home from wherever I was at, like the gym or jiu-jitsu. I like driving home from jiu-jitsu, particularly in the morning, because it's bright outside and I feel really energized afterwards. I listen to older 2000s music and it feels very nice to me and relaxing. Yeah, that's good. That's awesome. You know, for me, like driving in the convertible and listening to music, for one, I used to love to drive like at night. So in the evening, I really like driving. But also, I love to skydive. And with the top down and the way the wind blows and then listening to the music, it's like a combination of the two. So it's, you know, it's awesome. And you don't have any, you don't have a bunch of different things that are that are kind of stimulating your mind. You can just kind of take your mind off of everything and listen to music and you know, take some deep breaths and drive in the wind. So yeah. I definitely like that. What about you? Uh, my recharge time is, I think it's writing. I like to write and I, I do a lot of music. I, I make a lot of music for myself. And so a lot of times when I feel like I'm either burnt out or if I need to like kind of get become grounded again, I'll do some writing. And I think it's a little bit therapeutic. I think that's also why I keep a lot of journals because I think the writing allows me to get whatever frustration or anger or sadness or, or whatever that I'm feeling or that I'm dealing with uh, out of me and onto something else. And so I think it's just a little bit of a therapy for me and it allows me to recharge. I think for me, you know, those moments when I'm by myself is like the reason that it's recharging for me is it allows for me to kind of just be and it allows for me to kind of reset. It's also my, my biggest time to really self-reflect. You know, it's hard to self-reflect when you have a lot of things going on or, you know, there's a, there's a lot of maybe conversation around you or with you or, you know, maybe watching TV or whatever. So it, everybody's different and whatever that thing is that, you know, that helps for you to unwind or helps for you to recenter is definitely something that you should do because it can impact you pr pretty profoundly. Step 11 is build your power circle. The people that you surround yourself with should add value and feed your positive energy. Remove those around you who are draining or lack the ability to add value. How do you cultivate and build your power circle, Alicia? 
I build my power circle by looking for people that have the same goals that I do or are already where I want to be. So, for example, in jiu-jitsu, my power circle is really just men and jewels. And I used to have a lot of people in my circle that weren't really adding anything for me. And actually what made it pretty easy to remove them was the fact that we moved a lot. Yeah, it's true. It's pretty easy to cut someone off whenever you're moving too much. It's like having an online friend. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, online friend. You know, that, that's pretty interesting that you said that because uh, that's absolutely true. That that distance will definitely cut somebody out of your circle for sure. But also just not allowing someone in your circle in the first place makes it to where you don't have to cut them out or yeah. worry about them. You keep them out. Yeah. Block yeah. them. Yeah. I know that for me, I'm pretty picky about who I allow in my circle simply because I believe that their energy is impactful to your energy. And so if our relationship isn't mutually beneficial, then like Alicia said, if you're not adding value, then you're not adding value. And and guys, that can be family. That could be coworkers. That could be friends. That could be new people that you meet. You know, sometimes you're, you're extremely different. And like she said, um, I think it's important that she said about goals, that you have similar goals. Not that you have to have exactly the same goals, but if, if you guys are going in two different directions, you know, if you have a friend who all they want to do is go out to the club and, you know, hang out with, you know, with a bunch of people that don't add value and you have goals and aspirations to, you know, get really good at something or, you know, to, to venture in a new business or whatever the case may be, then you're, you know, you're, you two are not aligned. So it's going to be hard because they're going to want to be partying, going to a club, you're going to want to be working or working towards that goal. And so it makes it hard. And what ends up happening is one of you gets pulled in the other direction, you know? So it's why, you know, I'm sure that you guys have heard, you know, you're the sum of your five friends. So the, the five people closest to you, you're the sum of those five friends. So choose them wisely. Yeah. And if you have a weak link in there, then that just drops your, your average just drops. So, um, so push a button and drop them. (laughs) Choosing your circle is important and being deliberate in creating your power circle is extremely important because sometimes you build your circle unconsciously just by the people that you like, maybe someone's fun and, you know, maybe right. someone has a certain personality or a certain thing that they do, or they have something that you like to be around. Or it's just comfortable. Yeah. Sometimes it's a matter of comfort. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and I know me and Crystal, we had a conversation the other day about someone who was trying to enter our power circle and the fact that their values didn't really align with, with our values. And she was like, Oh, I don't understand why you're even going to be friends with this person. And, and being associate, being an associate, or being a friend of someone isn't the same as having them in your power circle. Having them in your power circle means that you're around them all the time and, the, and they're influencing you and you're influencing them. You can be friends with somebody whose values don't align with yours as long as you don't let them into your circle. You know what I'm saying? So I, I think I think it's important to know because there are going to be people in your life, even family members, like you have a, the, the drunk alcoholic uncle or whatever who you just, you know, doesn't add any value, but you love he's still him from your, afar. <laughs> he's still your uncle, right? And yeah, you love him from afar, and you see him when you see him. And I think Jules talked about when we talked about power circles with Jules, and he mentioned the fact that you know I see this guy; he's an alcoholic. Whenever I see him, I say hi and and, and hey, how you doing? And oh, you're still drinking? Well, that's good, and I'm on my way. <laughs> that's good, you know. Yeah, that's it's good for you. That's what you that's what you want to do with your life. That's fine. So I, I think it's important to know that as well. Have you ever had to drop somebody from your power circle? And if so, how did yeah. you do that? Um, I've had to drop 
a lot of people from my power circle are family, um, friends, uh, and and you know what? You just create space and distance. You know what I'm saying? And it's, it's no, it's not personal. But if you don't add value, then you just don't add value. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just, I just won't call you back. <laughs> you call me, and I won't call you back. Like, <laughs> you ghost him. Yeah, you know they're still friends, and you know, hey, you want to hang out this weekend? Nah, I'm good. Um, you know, I'm, you know, I'm doing something else. You know. And honestly, if you're deliberate about what you're doing, so if you're busy, like we're super busy. If if you're busy and you're you know you're working, you're going to school, you're going to the gym, you're going to jujitsu, then you don't have a whole lot of time. So if if you're dealing with somebody who you don't really want in your power circle and they're doing a lot of other activities, it's kind of easy to remove them. Yeah, that's true. I And I agree with you. But also for dropping somebody out of your power circle, if you have somebody that was in there at one point in time and now no longer adds value, so let's say that you've, tr- you've changed your trajectory and that person no longer challenges you or that person has changed and now you no longer feel like they're part of your power circle, then you have to make a decision and drop them. Yeah. It, what, you, what you said is, is right. You're super busy, right? But when someone adds value to your power circle, then you make the time for those people. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so a perfect example is uh, last Saturday, we got an invitation to go to to Bella's graduation in Dallas. And now it's like a four hour drive to go up there. It was on a day where we would typically go to jujitsu and do jujitsu on a Saturday. That's true. Um, But because I consider uh, Bella and Ezra, Ezra's her father to to be part of our, uh, part of our our family and part of our power, our power circle, we made the time. Right. You know what I'm saying? Now, for somebody who didn't add value, somebody who calls me out of the blue and is like, hey, I want you to come over here to this party. Like, no, we don't have time for that. We're doing things that are moving us in a, in a certain direction, and that's not going to move us in the direction that we want to go. So we don't make time for that. That's, that's good to point out. Step 12 is to build an accountability system. It's easy to cheat on yourself. You do it all the time when you sneak a snack, when you know you have no business eating it. But having someone or something externally to hold you to your commitments is a great way to avoid procrastinating. Do you have an accountability system? And if so, how does it encourage your performance? I wouldn't say that there's people that make me feel like I need to be doing anything. But there are people that do things with me that make me feel better about doing them. Mm. Do you ever feel like there's people like, say, for jiu-jitsu, I know that you go definitely more than you have to and definitely more than just say in the evenings you'll go during the day and stuff do you ever feel like people expect you to be there no but i tell myself that that's a good way to to psych yourself into doing something (laughs) yeah self-manipulation that's how i roll (laughs) whenever i tell someone i'm gonna go somewhere yeah it makes me really hold myself accountable they're not really being like oh are you gonna be here oh why weren't you here right I tell myself that's what they're going to do so that I do it. <laughs> I know for, for us, you know, with the personal trainer, it's not that we don't know how to work out. We worked out for years. We know how to meal prep. We know how to, we know how to do all those things. But having the accountability of having somebody who's expecting you to be there on certain days, that puts you in a mindset where, hey, I can't miss. Like, there can't be a reason why I miss. So I need to be there. I have a, yeah. you know, I have a time that I got to be there. But, but I think also just throwing something out into the universe and, and putting that out forces you to be accountable to it. So just like Alicia just said a little while ago, when, when she goes, hey, I'm going to be here tomorrow. Well, everyone's expectation is that you're going to be there. So when you don't, they'll be like, oh, hey, you weren't there yesterday. We thought you, you know, and, and that's a perfect, that's a, that's perfect because the other day we had, a, we had a friend of ours where we were leaving at the end of the day and she said something like, hey, are you guys going to open mat tomorrow? 
And everybody was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so our, we expected to see her the next day. When we didn't, we were like, oh, where's so-and-so? She, she didn't come today. Like, you know what I'm saying? So th that is part of how the accountability system works because like you create that expectation that that person is going to be there. So. What's funny is nobody would have expected you until you said I'm I know be there. yeah <laughs> yep. until you said something right you put yourself um, on the hook and that's the same thing we're like putting out into the into the world hey uh, I'm on this diet and I'm losing this weight and, and I'm watch me in like three months I'm gonna be like so everybody's gonna be watching like now now you've got to hold yourself accountable like you know what I'm saying so it is self accountability that's so, why I told you and I still didn't do it <laughs> but that's why I told you on I think Tuesday or Wednesday and I told you last night that I was going to go drop my computer off at school. Mm. Now, my plan was to wake up in the morning as if I was going to school so I could go into the student parking lot, go into the school, drop off the computer regularly, and then afterwards I would go to the gym because I was already dressed to go to the gym. I didn't do that for like the three days I told you. <laughs> I mean, you were kind of sort of supposed, supposed to ask me about it. Oh, I was, I was supposed to be your so, accountability so partner? instead, I ended up going after jiu-jitsu, didn't really go to the gym, had other things to do, so... That was today. That was so funny. Well, I'm glad you did it. And the only reason why I did it today was because if I didn't do it today, then I would have had to pay like $300 for the computer. Oh, wow. That's, hey, that's how procrastination works. <laughs> Typically, you push it, push it, push it, and you're just like, uh, $300 or turn this, nah, I'm turning I, it I in. I did do that with the computer. <laughs> I know sometimes you, you will say things like, hey, tomorrow you guys working out? Call me. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and that's a way of like trying to create that accountability system. So that's true. I didn't think yeah. about that. Yeah. So I guess I do have more accountability than I think. <laughs> Step 13 is find a mentor. A mentor who has done it can help you do it as well. Always try to learn from the mistakes of others so you don't have to waste the time that that lesson is going to take from you. A good mentor will speed up your learning curve and a good mentor will hold you accountable when you start coming up short. Uh, do you have a mentor, Alicia? Or do you have people who you consider to be mentors? I think I have men and Jules as my mentor, sure. but I really see men more as my mentor because I talk to him every single day. Yeah, I really like Jules, but he he's not like more personal with me like men is. Yeah, men plays guard, so he teaches me stuff with guard every day around the time that I would be done with class. He'll ask me, "Oh, how was class? What'd you do?" And then I'll tell him everything, and then he'll be like, "Oh yeah, we'll work on that." And I want to open a jujitsu school whenever. I'm older and he's doing that now. So I'm able to see how that's going for him, seeing what's failing, what's successful for him so that I know for whenever I do it. And right. he can also guide me through that and help me with that. Absolutely. What about you, Crystal? It's really smart. Yeah, it is. Um, I've always had mentors um, from the time I was younger. And really, I select my mentors based on what it is that I'm trying to achieve at that point in my life or later in my life. So if if I wanted to reach a certain level of success and there's somebody that I I can garner some type of knowledge from that I can learn from, you know, like Alicia saying that I can learn from things that they're currently going through so that I don't have to experience those things and I can, you know, be a few steps ahead when I'm when I'm at that point, then I do that. And I've had mentors for sports for, you know, like I would say, you know, Jules and and, and men um, and I would say now Carlos as well, Pablo, I would say they're all mentors for us for jujitsu. And then for, for like work, like when I was in the military, I had different mentors and some of those mentors are still my mentors, not just because they're very good at their jobs in the military, but also because they're very good with, with life advice and with, you know, advice about, 
you know, how to deal with certain situations, you know, how to deal with somebody who, who lacks values, how to deal with somebody who has character flaws, how to deal with somebody who, who isn't doing the things that you're telling them to do when you're in a, you know, a position of authority. So sometimes just having somebody who, who understands what it is that you're going through because they've gone through it before is very helpful because you can say, well, what did you do when you were in this situation? Like with men, you know, you see a lot of people at every age level, you know, I don't care how old you are, where you get really upset when you lose because you feel like you feel a sense of failure. Also a sense of letting somebody down like your mentor, like, oh, they've been they've been spending all this time with me and it's wasted because I didn't do what I was supposed to do or, you know, whatever the case may be. And even though probably about 99.9% of that isn't even accurate, but you may feel that way. I think that having that mentor, so to have somebody like men say, you know what, at, at one point I felt like giving up because of a loss. And man, I wouldn't have had you as a mentor if you would have done that. You know, you wouldn't be here and you've been so helpful. So just just to kind of put things into perspective, you know, you always need a mentor, always. I think it's helpful to have somebody that, that can challenge you, but that can also tell you, hey, I, you know, I felt that at one point in time, or I went through that at one point in time, and you're going to make it out of it. You know, you're going to be all right. Yeah. I can't say that I had mentors growing up. I didn't grow up in a place where I even knew what a mentor was, you know what I'm saying? So um, when I joined the military, I also didn't have mentors. And so I basically had to do everything on my own. I had to learn on my own. I had to, so I had to learn my own lessons. And sometimes those lessons were a waste of time. If I would have had a mentor, I just would have had the answer to the test and I would have been able to get it done right away and I would have been able to accomplish more faster. Uh, but instead, I had to go kind of like the long way. I didn't have the shortcuts, right? I didn't really start having mentors until I was a more senior in my career. And I started being around professional men who were willing to open up and take someone under their wing and then give them guidance. I didn't get a lot of guidance. And so that was something that I kind of had a little bit of a difficult time with. And it's funny because we were talking to to one of our mentors, Jules, the other day during our podcast when we were talking about how to manage stress like a boss. And one of the things that he said is he has difficulty with that as well. Because as a, as a mentee, you have to be able to open up and expose yourself and be vulnerable to your mentor so that they can guide you and they can give you advice and they can, you know. So that's a very important relationship to have. And and that's, it's, it's really, it's really, um, it's really good when you have that. And I do have a mentor now. I consider Charles Taylor to be my mentor. Um, I actually have a couple of mentors because I have mentors in jujitsu and I also have mentors in my personal life. And I, I consider Charles Taylor to be one of those mentors um, just because he's he's um, he's like a father figure. He's uh, he gives me, he coaches me. A father figure? I don't yeah. think he's going to appreciate that. No, he could, well, well I, He's like a paternal, like a paternal yeah. figure, like you know what I'm saying. Like he's gonna hold you accountable when you're right. when you're screwing up. He's gonna say, "Hey, look, man, you're you're messing up. You're not doing the right thing that you're supposed to be doing." That's true. Um, and you want a mentor like that. You don't want a, a mentor who's just gonna not tell you how it really is and then allow you to make a mistake and and mess up. You know what I'm saying? So I appreciate that. I like having someone who's gonna hold me accountable. Have you ever had a mentor that you realized at some point in time wasn't a good mentor or shouldn't have been your mentor? I, I haven't had that many mentors. Have you? Um, I haven't had a whole lot of mentors. I, I think that I do very well at who I who I pick out and why, but I've definitely known people and I and I in the military I would talk to soldiers about choosing the right people. You know, don't just choose somebody because they're they're at a high rank. Choose them because they earned it and choose them because their values align with your values. Yeah. You know, cuz sometimes you'll realize that how somebody got where they got wasn't in the best methods and 
you know, maybe they don't, maybe they lack values. Yeah. You know, I think you would be my personal life mentor, <laughs> Joe. Me? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, because while outside of jujitsu, a lot of what I want to do is what you're doing. And then you're really more like me than mom is <laughs> personality wise, <laughs> like seeing how you would get through something or how you would manage your emotions and something. I think it helps me with whatever I'm going through or whatever I am going to go through. Yeah. And even with podcasts, for example, I think you help me out with those as well. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Aww. And I, I definitely love being... I was just thinking about that while you guys are talking. <laughs> I definitely appreciate that, and I definitely hope I um, am always able to be a good mentor to you. So so our final step is step 14, and it's to take action. Get it done. In our podcast from Season 1, Episode 11, Don't Confuse Motion for Action, we provide the hacks to ensure that you're actually taking action and not just being in motion. Taking action is about accomplishing the tasks and achieving the objectives. Motion is thinking, planning, contemplating, avoiding, waiting. It's everything that precedes the moment that you actually begin moving the ball towards the goalpost. Victor Kiem says procrastination is opportunity's natural assassin. If you've been putting off for tomorrow what you should have done today, then this is the call to action for you. If you're constantly missing deadlines, then we're speaking to you. And if you're setting an alarm to wake up and do your homework before you go to school, then yes, we are also speaking to you. And I challenge you to download and listen to season one, episode 11 of the Undeniable Level Up podcast. Don't confuse motion for action. Our episode six of last year's season titled Becoming a Gold Digger. Both of these episodes have amazing life hacks at getting things done by killing the procrastinator in you and taking action. Alicia, do you have any advice for our listeners out there that need to stop procrastinating and putting things off for tomorrow? I think that my biggest pieces of advice would be to schedule what you want to do and to tell people what you're doing. If you're scheduling it out, then it won't be as stressful whenever you get to that. So if you're trying to work out more, then schedule out exactly what workouts and what exercises you want to do, what time you want to go, how long you want to be there. So then everything is planned out and you're not going there and you're not stressed out about, oh, what should I be doing next? How long should I be here? Oh, I don't want to go at this time. Maybe I should go at this time. And then if you're telling people what you're doing, then that sets more accountability. So you're not just relying on yourself. Your people are also relying on you. Right. That's great advice. That's great advice. I don't know a busier 16-year-old than you, honestly. And so thank you for coming out and taking time out of your hectic schedule to join us today for the show. Your get-it-done focus and determination are definitely taking you to some amazing places in life. Congratulations on your upcoming graduation from high school and your future college plans. We love to see you achieving and winning. Absolutely. We are all guilty of a little procrastination here and there. Okay, maybe more than just a little, but like things like I'll start my diet on Monday, I'll complete that assignment tomorrow, I'll change the oil this weekend. These are just the small and inconsequential procrastinations that we do without even giving it any thought. But what about the I'll start taking college classes next semester or I'll start investing once I paid the car off or I'll start that new business once the economy shifts. These are the big delays that pump the brakes on your betterment and your improvement. These are the delays that stifle your growth and stunt your progress in life. 30 years from now, you'll still be telling yourself the same exact story. It's time to level up. It's time to kill the procrastinator you today. Stop being scared to fail. Failure is always the first step towards success. Failure is a lesson that has been clouded by your ego and your self-esteem. 
Take it for what it is, a learning opportunity. Stop allowing fatigue to limit your ascension. Imagine if the person trying to get to the top of Mount Everest stopped every time they got tired. They would never reach the summit. They'd never experience the glorious view from the mountain's peak. We all get tired. You can rest at the top. Stop moving forward without a plan and without defined goals. A goal without a plan is a wish. And wishes are only granted by genies. So unless you found a magic lamp, you better have a plan. Kill the procrastinator and watch yourself level up faster than you ever dreamed possible. <laughs>